0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Thank Cool. Here we go. Ready to rock and roll. I actually have the mic in front of me this time, ready to be on top of the ball here, and my guest today. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. If you haven't already met her, if you don't already know her, she's fantastic. I've worked with her and collaborated with her over over many, many years, and she is a sales leader, a tech enthusiast, And, and it's a perfect combination of someone who knows sales, and people, and has empathy, and knows the tech, cold. I think a lot of times in sales, people just wing it, but not this person. I can't wait to introduce you to her. Fantastic. I've worked with her. I'm so excited to introduce you. ABM advocate as well. We're going to pick her brain on that. Regional vice president of sales at Demandbase, Katie Ivey. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Casey. Quite the intro. I'm really happy to be here. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just thinking back to the the old days. I mean, we've gone skydiving together. We've done so many crazy things. And so, all these these like images were flooding my head when I'm trying to follow my notes. I'm like, screw you, notes. Let's just do this. Let's go off book here. And yeah, I'm so glad you're here. It's gonna be gonna catch up. I'm gonna learn from you, and it'll be fun. Definitely gonna be a fun conversation. Lots to reminisce over for sure. Will make me feel old for a little sliver of the day. For sure. And actually. I know we've talked a lot, we've worked together a lot, but I haven't really ever had a chance to pick your brain on these things. And so I am excited to pass you something. It's really heavy, for me at least. Ugh. Okay, here you go. Thor's hammer, you got it?
1: <laughs> I, I got it.
0: All right, all right. You mentally grab that with your, your mental powers. Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight. Sales, marketing, whatever we're listening okay
1: let's start with one of my favorite topics so i love sales people love sales and marketing and have been selling or teach people to sell more tech pretty much my whole career One myth that I get really passionate about talking about is the fact that there seems to be a very big misconception about salespeople in general, that we are primarily or sometimes only motivated by money, uh, which I think is fundamentally untrue. Uh, There's so many layers, especially to the great sellers that I've managed, worked with, worked alongside of. um, And there's just so many layers to why we do what we do and what makes us really good at what we do. Um, And yes, money's a piece of it. I think for all of us, we we go to work for uh, certain reasons to pay the bills. uh, But I get a little bit riled up when I hear people talking about how salespeople are all coin-operated and literally all you've got to do to get them to do something different is change a comp plan or, you know, throw some, throw some dollars at them. I think it's a lot more complex than that.
0: Yeah. oh, hey, Throw some more money at it. It'll change that behavior. You know, it's, it's interesting because marketing can have a bad rap for being the, the print shop or the we make the fancy graphics and, you know, the booth and otherwise don't really help out. Like, we can get a bad rap if we don't, you know, talk through that. And I think for the alignment's sake, you're right. Sales can get a bad rep too, you know, from, from other people in sales, anyone else in the organization, and certainly in marketing, if we're having a little, you know, a little tiff back and forth, we're like, oh, those salespeople, they just, they want their commish and that's about it, you know? And it sounds like that's not the case. It's way more interested than that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's just so many, people in general are complex and that's one of the reasons I love yeah. sales. Because we get to interact with people all day, every day, figure out what makes people tick, what are they motivated by, like what keeps them up at night. Sounds super cheesy to say, but it's really true. Like what are they thinking about all the time? And salespeople are no different. Like there's an aspect of, yes, we love making money, but quite often the fact that we love making money is because we either love winning or maybe we hate losing. Many of us are really, really curious about business and fascinated about how companies make money and how we can actually solve problems uh, and become that trusted advisor and really partner with the people that we work with. Um, some of us sell tech, a lot of us sell tech that we're actually really fascinated by. And I, I know we're going to dig in around ABM specifically, uh, but I literally have never in my career sold a product that I didn't think was incredibly fascinating and had the potential to actually make a true impact on the bottom line, drive revenue. And I think of most of the sellers that I work with, like that is really the driver. yes, again, they want to make money, but it's secondary or third. If we can't figure out what actually motivates them long-term outside of just the dollars, uh, then it's a really shallow relationship from a management perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, this is really interesting to hear. Just that, that passion for wanting to sell something that actually helps. I mean, wow. You know, in marketing, we can relate to that. We want to market something that actually helps. And sometimes we don't have the direct feedback to know, is this customer super happy because it now it's on to the sales relationship or, Or, you know, if we had, didn't have our our phone calls afterward to find out, but yeah, we want to help too. It's interesting that, you know, we're not totally different. You know, it's not like we're two, two random different vegetables. We're like peas in a pod. You guys want (laughs) to help out other people. We want to help out other people. We're not in it for the the leads. You're not in it for the the bucks. It's like, we actually want to make a difference with people. And if we can get rewarded for that, let's do it. And then the competitive side comes in. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, it's so much about problem solving. We're either trying yeah. to
1: figure out like, what are the risks, the problems, things we can help someone avoid or how do we help create opportunity that didn't exist before, may not have been there, hadn't been recognized. And if you can marry those two, like it's a match made in heaven and you're hundred percent correct. The best marketers that I've ever worked with, think about it through the exact same lens. It's all about how are we helping our customers do better, do more, figure things out, solve problems, accomplish things that maybe are outside of their ability prior to partnering with us or working with our software or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, I think that probably the motivations of great sellers and great marketers are actually more similar than we give ourselves credit for at times.
0: 100%. So why, why, why do we disagree so many, so much (laughs) like this? we, We have the same mission. It sounds like we're just not talking about it. Is that what's going on?
1: um i think that absolutely is a part of it that's probably a good segue into if you want one more myth that i would love to talk about or yeah. smashed a little you know thor it's your hammer just keep smashing things i think there is this really weird conception these days that somehow we've solved this sales marketing misalignment and anyone in b2b has talked about for years the fact that sales and marketing are not aligned and we're not working towards the same goals marketing cares about the MQLs and they're pissed that sales doesn't follow up with the leads. Sales isn't happy with the leads, like this type of dialogue. And the reality is we've come a long way. I think the profession of sales and marketing has definitely evolved to be much more focused on revenue at the end of the day, which is going to holistically drive alignment across sales and marketing. But I I mean, I talk to customers all day, every day, and they may tell me, yep, we've got great alignment with sales. You know, I'm typically working with marketers or selling to marketing leaders. Yeah. Yep, great alignment with sales. I've got a great relationship with our sales leader. But we start digging in and talking about their process, what they do day in and day out, where their target accounts come from, what gets communicated, how often they meet, what types of emails go back and forth. And there's not really a ton of alignment because at the end of the day, there's not a ton of communication. So mm. maybe they're working towards shared goals. But if there's not consistent workflows and communication that's happening, I don't think it's really possible to break that stigma of sales and marketing alignment. Um, so I, I actually think we have a long way to go in that area and it's probably the biggest or one of the biggest things holding back revenue organizations and B2B organizations,
0: uh, in my, my opinion. So it still is alignment then. It, it, yeah. and you're right, we have a lot of people, oh no, it's great. We're good. Yeah, we're, we're best friends. Okay.
1: And don't get me wrong. I talk to many customers that, oh, they're definitely challenged with it and they recognize it, Yeah. but there's so many sales and marketing leaders, or I'll talk with CROs and they seem to think they've got that piece nailed. Yeah. And again, when you start digging into the process and what day-to-day really looks like, and sometimes even how they're measured, there's just not true alignment where they're not all running in the same direction. They're not celebrating the same victories. They're not all pissed off at the same failures. Like that's what alignment looks like. At the end of the day, we're celebrating the same stuff. We're upset about the same things. Like there's some type of we're on the same mission together. And until we get there, I don't think true alignment is possible.
0: You know, so true, right? It's almost like there's this surface level alignment that we talk about. And, oh, it's a great topic for, you know, webinars and white papers. And it's like, okay, you're you're kind of doing it. But you really you really hit me when you're saying like, are we actually celebrating the same thing? If if we're not, if the emotion's not there, then we're not we're not really there. We're maybe yeah. it's like we're North and South Korea. We kind of have like a, a room we can go in and we can meet and we can be civil and not hurt each other, but we're separate countries. You know, yeah. none, none shall pass between each each of these two nations. You know, it's like ugh, it's not that's you want. You want like a state. you can just drive across the state line. You're like, I'm in a different state. I didn't even notice I left other than that cute little sign that said like, bienvenue, you know, that's, that's what we're <laughs> looking for. Yeah. And there's total responsibility and ownership on both sides. Like
1: at, at demand base, we'll talk about this more later, but we do a lot of things really well from a process oh. perspective. Like the way marketing packages up campaign updates, details, areas to focus. They do it in an email at the beginning of the week. We have a line management meetings at the end of every week where we're talking about the same metros, looking at the funnel, but marketing might do that. You know, the email, the wrap up, the communication perfect. My sellers have to pay attention. They've got to actually read the stuff. They've got to take action and then right. vice versa we get in a room and sales gives feedback and says, Hey, there's this one gap. I really need help in this area. Marketing's got to listen and take action. So like, it starts with the process and the communication and then both teams have to be action oriented to actually solve for it.
0: Process and communication. And then we actually have to take action on it afterward. Uh, That's a great, I see like that formula in the sky kind of thing and like sky rating. Um, I can picture it on the whiteboard behind you just going up. Yes. Yeah. Start putting graffiti back there. You know what I really need to do is like put like a bunch of stickers on this wall um, and then like all the stickers of everyone we've ever talked to. That'd be, that'd be kind of neat. Um, you like your own little personal logo wall or something. Yeah, like a logo wall.
1: Yeah. yeah. I love those. You know, I miss seeing them in the office. It's been a really I, long time. Yeah. And in
0: bars and <laughs> like it, you know, these all the patches on the wall. Hey, everyone someone was here from New Hampshire. Um Yeah, I I've I've been starting to ask this question because I'm really curious because I, I think this idea that oh, I think we're aligned, but maybe we're not, you know, it's like um it's almost like a that cold war peace where it was like, that's a word for that. I think it was in like history class where it's like, you're at peace, but it's like a tense, like peace, you know, Perestrika or something like that. I don't know. Um, I was a
1: political science major. I should know that, but um, oh, the word is not.
0: Well, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to fact check it. But yeah, it was the idea of like, okay, are we, are we really aligned or not? What tells you, and you've said a couple things already, the idea of, Taking action, but what kind of signs do you see from your side, and maybe even from the sales side, when when there is alignment? Like um, we're aligned, but what proves to you that you are versus a company where you're not aligned? Are, are there particular kind of actions that marketing takes um, that makes you go, okay, you guys are on board with me?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I can a few things come to mind, even just from interactions with, with prospects and customers in my space. So I mentioned earlier, you know, I'll talk to a lot of CMOs or VPs of marketing that will tout, the fact, yeah, we've got great alignment, but you start digging in and certain things kind of crumble away. There's other conversations where I might be working with the VP of demand gen, but you can tell from literally the first second of the conversation that there's such a tightly aligned revenue team because that VP of demand gen knows exactly what his or her sales counterpart cares about. So there's almost just natural, like, hey, we're, this is our, our priority. Here's what we're focused on for this initiative. Let me tell you a little bit about how the sales org functions, some of the KPIs. Here's what the alignment looks like. There's, it's just a natural flow that happens in discussion. And we may or may not have the VP of sales on that first call or that second call but we're able to ask some questions of that marketing leader or that demand generation leader or that ABM project, you know, person that's spearheading. And I start asking questions about what the sales org looks like, who does what, how do you bifurcate territories? How big's your target account list? Where does that come from? Do you have access to intent data? Those types of questions. And if that marketing leader knows, boom, 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 like here's our process, Clearly they're in lockstep. They're not just talking to their sales leader. Like they are in lockstep because they're building something together uh, versus again, like this blank stare of, Hmm, I'll have to get back to you on that. Lots of, we've all been in the situation where we're running discovery calls and we're not getting any real information when there's a lack of alignment across sales and marketing. And you try to do true discovery about how do we help build that revenue funnel? If there's no alignment, it's not really possible.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if people sign up to uh, get on a call. I don't know how they. Do. Someone on your team and they're like, "I I want Katie to grill you know to grill me on this call because you just listed off like eight different questions of like, are you doing this? Do you do you know what they're focused on? What their KPIs are? What does their sales organization look like? And I can imagine some marketers doing the deer in the headlights thing, like you're saying. And but you know what? Hearing that, and I think anyone hearing this podcast, too, how much do you know about what your sales is going after? That may be that in the, the, the eight things we'll have to get on the transcript and we'll put them in the show notes. Like there, there's, there are these things just that for sales, sales takes for granted. This is how they run their organization. This is what they go after. Do we know that on the marketing side? Or are we just, oh, we're looking at revenue and but we don't know what the pipeline is we don't know what their conversion rate i mean we did this exercise the other day at chash where we're like what's what is sales conversion rate like on on stuff we get from partners versus stuff we get net new and then trying to work back like how how many leads or how many accounts we need to bubble up to the surface to help support them knowing what their average close rate is like it's just some of those things and it's like wow why didn't we think of that earlier you know because we you're aligned but you know there's so much more to it and you got to know What their goals are so that like you said we can cry if if they didn't make it because we none of us made it or we can celebrate together because they just hit that massive goal and think about the
1: inverse of that too how many sales leaders and i have certainly been guilty of this in a variety of of roles that have no idea what good or great really looks like for the marketing org how do they spend of course at the end of the day we know we want help generating pipeline and brand awareness but outside of that, like what are the channels that marketing spending dollars on today? What's working? What bottlenecks yeah. do they have within the org? Who's focused where? Are there gaps of information they really need from sales or customer success that they're not getting access to? Who's super limited from a bandwidth perspective? What are some of the holes or opportunities? What are the hiring plans? Things like that, that yeah. if me as a sales leader, if I'm tapped in and I don't have to know how to do the role of a right. CMO or marketing leader but I sure need to know what the role consists of if I want to be a true partner to that marketing counterpart.
0: Right. What's working? What's not working? Um, What campaigns are we trying? Um, What are we pushing after? And I think this ties into your your topic earlier about activation and, and getting people to take action on the content. Okay. Marketing has delivered this, content and we hear all the stats of like you know 80 to 87 percent of content goes unused you know and then it's like okay maybe the creation of the content is not the challenge as much as maybe getting people to use it you know so here's here's the thought i've made you and your team um the best content you imaginable that it filled that gap you really wanted like what's the best way for me to help get that activated, you know? And maybe if, if it's something you really want, you're just taking a run with it. But like, I think a lot of marketers are like, Ooh, we made this thing. And then it's like, sales is like, yeah, yeah. Send that out with an email tool or something like, but you could use this on a sales call or you could, you could call your partners with this, but it's like crickets, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think
0: part of it starts with maybe even just
1: asking in real time for feedback. Like this is something that we've got like every marketing or we've done a lot of pivots where we are obviously not doing events at the moment. We're not doing the same types of dinners that we were doing right. before. So we've had to rework. What do we do from a direct mail perspective? But there's a couple of really cool campaigns. Some of it's content oriented and some's like more gifting that our marketing team has done as of late. And the reality is some of them land really well and some of them not so much. But the two gals that are heading that up on the marketing side have been really proactive with me for asking for feedback. Hey, what's working? What what are you hearing in the field? Who's excited about this? Because a lot of it's stuff where they roll it out, they do the work, but the SDRs and the AEs together have to be the ones crafting the emails, doing the personalization. It's very high touch, one-on-one, lots of personalization. And I mean, we had a campaign, it's a direct mail, but like a wine tasting campaign that we just Mm. launched and we're doing a couple of events later this month and Early Next and it, the, it's just been amazing. Like we are getting so many great responses. Literally the high value accounts that we want to show up are registered. We're getting a lot of back and forth. We're sourcing some net new top of the funnel pipeline. We're re-engaging pipeline. Wow. And again, there's other campaigns that just haven't taken off for whatever reason. But myself and the folks that are driving that on the marketing team have really open dialogue just around, hey, wh- why do you think this is picking up so well? The team seems really excited. Any feedback on Why? for the campaign that really didn't land. Anything you could help us with in terms of how we could do it better next time. Like there definitely is those are those open lines of communication to ask questions and share feedback. If I see something, maybe it's a typo on the website or maybe it's a white paper that yeah. just doesn't feel like it's <laughs> then I'm super proactive. I know who owns that. Hey, like there's something with this messaging that's off. Like my team doesn't like it. We're not using it. We don't feel like this solves this specific yeah. need. And it's not from a place of, I don't think you're great at your job. It's right. let's spend some time together figuring out, are there changes we can make that will make it even better?
0: Right. And you know, on the market side, we got to make sure that we're not taking things personally. Oh, they don't like my white paper. I suck. I'm going to go pout. It's like, okay, maybe we could just rewrite that. You know, like take the feedback and, and like feedback is gold. Let's use, utilize it, you know. Um, question about, you mentioned, you know, one of those campaigns was just like rocket ship and the other one was like, Meh, maybe not so much, maybe not this year. Um, there's a lot of talk in the marketing community about being, it's like okay to fail or it's okay to test and try something and fail. Um, and we're always kind of encouraging marketers to do that. How How does that tie in? It sounds like, you are just totally accepting of like, okay, this campaign worked. This one doesn't. Um, it, is sales not as sensitive to that or, you know, showed marketing maybe not worry as much about like, Oh, if this campaign fails, sales will never call my leads again. You know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I, at least at demand base, there's definitely none of that perception. Right. I think the answer to the question though is a little more complex in, cause it depends on a lot of variables depending on, that what your market looks like specifically, if you're selling a relatively inexpensive product and you do a ton of volume within that campaign, then it could be a lot of money you're talking about if there's a miss. So for us, most of our campaigns are relatively personalized yeah. uh, because our, our marketing and sales is pretty targeted. So again, if we have a miss, it's not like huge amounts of budget that are down the drain. So I think that's probably the other thing to think about there. But it's certainly, you're not. it's not costing you trust with my team if you put something out and it happens to not really land.
0: Yeah, like no response. Uh, versus maybe like an angry response. So we want to avoid those. But if it just, it, it fails to land, it sounds like it's something that you know, sales is just used to. Hey, we're always trying to contact people and move things forward. You know, you've got failures all the time in the sales side. So it's okay. Hey, marketing, just own up to it. But I think you said earlier, like learn from it. You know, If it, yeah. if it doesn't work, and get that feedback.
1: I'm not mad about an angry response. I think we should do a more controversial marketer marketing. Let's get out Tell there. Tell about that. Don't afraid to piss people off. I don't know, all of us sales and marketing, like we tiptoe so often. Like, and I have never owned brand marketing, so like I certainly won't speak as the expert there. But I just think that we sometimes are so afraid to be offensive in any way or to isolate someone that sometimes we just need to be willing to take chances and be a little bit more daring. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, throw <laughs> some clocks in there. It'll be fine.
0: Fuck yeah. So but like there's something to that right and um you know language aside I think, I don't think we're saying like through language in the subject line but we're saying like do something like sh- don't be ordinary oh, I read this thing earlier about um a really weak or like blah 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 br- um brand is called a bland like it's like <laughs> it's our it's our name with no white background like it's our bland, you know, and it's like- and our super safe yeah. logo
1: and our really generic colors, yeah.
0: Right, and our really generic phrases that I can't even deci- decipher what they mean. And it's like, it's so, I don't know, there, there's so much noise out there, you just get lost.
1: Yeah, I'd rather stand out and, you know, have the, it's just like on LinkedIn, uh, you'd rather publish some content and have a little bit of banter and back and forth and someone disagree with you versus no one give a shit about what you have to say.
0: Right, you know, I I heard that, Something defective, like people engage more with things they disagree with, Mm. and um, of course that's how Facebook makes all its money. (laughs) And uh, but but one of the interesting things with that is, and then I thought back to some posts I had seen of different people on LinkedIn posting some polls, and one got me because it was like a poll, and it was like, "What should marketers do or think about or something?" And there was three terrible answers and one obviously good answer, and it wasn't necessarily winning. There was a lot of people voting, and I was like. Kind of like, well, clearly there's one answer here, people. Like, come on, get it. I was engaging. It, it, like, it pulled me in because it wasn't just your average, like, here's three nice answers, pick one. It was like, what, why, what is this poll? Who did this? And it's like, it got me. You know, it's like the professional Facebook got me and it got me commenting and a bunch of other people too. Hundreds of people were commenting on it. Wow. I, I got to start using some polls. I'm
1: not a, I need to take my own advice and be a little more controversial on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, first, first person to get a a a GDPR email wins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like it.
0: I got my first one the other day that was like, please unsubscribe me. GDPR, I will threaten you. And it's like, where are you based? I don't know where they're based yet. So I got to find out. Are they in California? Where are they at? No, we just, we deleted them. But it's really weird just seeing all these sort of different things come in and, um, and all that. So, hey, um, where's the future of all this go, right? This, these relationships, sales and marketing. What, what kind of comes around the bend with that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Technology is moving so fast. Yeah. And it feels like at the moment, like life is moving so fast. Like we've had to make so many pivots in 2020 specifically. I mean, I'm, I'm used to working in an office. My team's typically in an right. office. We face-to-face with a lot of customers. Like just I could go on and on about our sales and marketing funnel and the pivots we've had to make there. But I think that one of the things that's definitely going to be a takeaway from 2020 is this massive acceleration of all things digital transformation. And not that it hasn't been happening for 10, 15 years. I mean, you and I met in the earlier stages of marketing automation where, yeah. wow, this is really revolutionary. We can put a form on our website and get someone's email address and add them to a nurture campaign. Right. Mind blown, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. or a little. And I think just the pace of how quickly – tech and in particular AI is evolving. It's interesting. It's almost bringing us back to the basics in some ways because now folks have the ability to automate a ton of, I think back to my first role as an entry-level salesperson and I didn't use tech to automate anything, but a lot of what I was doing was just more volume, more leads. I worked harder than people, like some really basic stuff none yeah. of that really matters anymore because you can you can fake or automate or like put, build systems to do that stuff huh. so it's really interesting that I feel like there's almost it's this interesting intersection of tech and humanity that's actually going to up level us as a, at least as a sales profession pretty big time because we have to be able to connect with people on a more human level and build real relationships while leveraging a ton of tech and data and learning a lot about who that person is like I love the fact that I can use crystal nose and do essentially a personality assessment of someone before I'm even on the phone with them. And I can use intent data to know what keywords they've been looking at out on the B2B web before we talk. But at the end of the, and of course, I'm going to incorporate that into my talk track, the questions I ask, how I tailor my discovery or my product demo. But at the end of the day, if I can't build more trust and more rapport with that individual, there's so much other, tech and noise out there that I just think that the ability to build real relationships and to become that trusted advisor as a salesperson is going to become more important than ever and even more so as tech continues to accelerate.
0: Wow. Wow. It's so true. The idea that more and more tech, there's not less and less tech, there's more and more of it, um, but it's elevating the need for the human just as much, the intersection you're talking about. Um, What is You said Crystal knows. Yeah. It's this amazing LinkedIn plugin. Um, okay. you should totally check it out. You'll
1: love it. Cause it's just all about dissecting personalities and I love that. <laughs> learning. Um, they have, I think it starts at 20 or 30 bucks a month. It's not expensive. They have some other more expensive versions, but, and I don't know exactly where they get the tech or how accurate it is, but, Every, I personality typed everyone on my team and it literally will tell you here's the ways that you are similar to this person. Here's the ways that you're different. Here's what's going to piss them off in a meeting. Here's how you should write an email. I mean literally to the point that it'll say be really brief and talk fast or be really flowery with your language and go slower. For someone like me that naturally talks really fast and is so fast paced, it's helpful for me to know, hey, you might be a slower processor and you like way more flowery language and for us to shoot the shit for 10 minutes before we talk business. There's other people that that's really going to piss them off. So just some of those little tidbits and nuggets that can help you tailor your approach and your style. And again, it goes back to my earlier point. Great sellers can pivot. They can read a room. They can pick up little cues from your personality to figure out how they should interact. Right. Most We all struggle with that, but the better you can get at that as a salesperson and i would argue as a marketer as well then certainly going to help the career trajectory
0: wow and this is kind of like the eye-opening thing when you hear about things like gong or other stuff where you're just like what you know you know this information like how do you this is that's really cool yeah i found it i'm going to have to check that out after this um, yeah
1: since work from home gong has become my single most favorite piece of technology ever hands down
0: have, have you like made any sort of like, cause I, I've hear, I've heard speaking of uh, swearing earlier that, um, I think it was on a, a previous episode that, uh, it, those that swear, um, those epi- um, calls where the sales rep swears, uh, close rates higher. What's that? Close, close tire. rate yeah, is yeah, higher. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, like losing my mind. Like, yeah, they
1: put out amazing content. Like, if you even if you don't use Gong, you should sign up for their blog because their content is amazing. Um, But no surprise, they have access to so much data, so they're analyzing so many layers of how sellers and buyers are interacting. Uh, And yeah, that's one of their just random stats that they figured out. If you use the F word and swear in your conversations, there's some element of it like feeling more authentic and human, I think. And the close rates, I don't remember the percentage, but it was like a decent amount higher.
0: Yeah. I imagine that goes toward like authenticity and, you yeah. know, just being yourself and, you know, sales likes to swear anyway. So it's just, it's, instead of being a, it also instead of being a filtered version of yourself, you're just yourself and cause you're trying to get trust. Right. And I think people can sense when you're being like, not yourself.
1: Don't you think that most of us have become more authentic versions of
0: ourselves over this last like five months? Have we? Um, probably. Cause we're like at home.
1: Well, and we're, yeah, we're on video all the time. My reps have used video for a long time, Yeah. but getting customers and prospects to turn on video used to be really awkward and they wouldn't do it. And we were face-to-face with customers a good bit, but when you weren't face-to-face, it felt very like rigid. And now, I mean, we've all gotten a little bit more used to it, but I mean, there's toddlers running around, there's dogs barking, there's like the the storm is happening and you get access to real lives i don't know i just it feels like the dynamic shifted a little bit
0: for sure because we always did internal video calls we're all remote anyways we always did internal video calls which was cool so we're used to it but then usually the customers didn't um right customers and clients they were just like oh um, and you don't want to be like the one person sharing video and no one else is. So they're like staring at you, eating your lunch. And like, you forgot. I, I, make
1: my, I make my team turn theirs on even when no one else does. And I don't think they love me for it, but it's amazing though, when you turn yours on so often, the person on the other end also turns on video and if they can they apologize don't. for their Peloton hair and that their dog is there, but you're building a more authentic relationship.
0: hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's them. If they don't turn it on, you know, that they're. A, a weirdo, like, ooh, no, I'm just going to look at you, just look uh, at me. Um, uh,
1: I have learned that I need to turn mine off every once in a while because eating on camera is just the worst.
0: Yeah, it, and watching yourself eat on camera, like, you just
1: – I mean, watching yourself on camera in general is kind of hard, but I, have uh, I've like, take off my self-view quite often just so that I'm
0: not, like, self-conscious. Do you, like, end up staring at it like I'm staring at mine right now? Is you just like
1: <laughs> – um, I try that? to actually stare at the person I'm talking to, but, you yeah. know, not always.
0: Yeah, you should. That's that's the best way to do it. Go right. Um, man, you you're right though. There, there is Yeah, the authentic, authentic authentic yeah. Authenticity? Authenticity. That's it. So, um I heard some talk around backgrounds. Like, do you have your team put on a background or not? And what do you think about some being more or less authentic?
1: Um, I'm not a fan mostly cause I feel like they're awkward. Like every time you move your head or your arms, it's like all yeah. broken. Um, I was actually on my first call ever yesterday with a background because we were doing a, a demand based theme. So yeah, I, put I think a I saw you in one
0: on. too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I just, I didn't, I don't love it, but it's fine. Whatever. Some people are more comfortable. There are some really cool ones. Uh, apparently you can download Airbnb, like real yes. apartment spaces and use those. So that sounds like a fun option one of the guys on my team has a really cool background that makes me want to like buy the apartment that he's showing so sure yeah. if that's your thing i love actually seeing people's living rooms and home
0: offices and kitchen tables and bedrooms and like so i'm a fan of the no background but whatever for sure yeah you know it's probably just you know the just like we finally got people on video now now pe- maybe some people want to have the background on somebody brought up the other day that like you know maybe they don't have any space and they're sharing a room with someone else and they just want to do that. Cool. That's what you want to do. Great. But I I think the conversation that started this was just actually we're, we're kind of, we're all in the same shit together. It's not like you're at home and no one else is. And you're trying to like hide it a little bit, but it's like, we all got crazy. I had my son come in on a webinar and he was like, what's the iPad password? I'm like, this is not a good time. I'm like, (laughs) I'm trying to teach a few people here on the other line. And I turned, I was, it was the first time. So I turned red and I was just like, Hey, like, hey, take it away, and thankfully, some people on the on the team were like, "Okay, we got in there chit chatting." I'm like, "I'll be right back," but um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's the it's the reality of it. I think to this whole conversation around the tech is like Crystal knows this is. I'm gonna check that out. But just as much as you have that, and you said you have the intent data, people still gotta trust you. You know, that's why I bought part out in the beginning. I was like, hey, "I trust this guy. This guy's cool. I'm. I can learn from this guy." And it was yeah. it was real as opposed to you know, that sort of fake car sales. Yeah. Like how many how many salespeople you think are like the car salesman people that we kind of think they are? Is there? A I think it's getting less and less. I, I don't know the percentage.
1: Uh, sales obviously has had a really bad rap for a long time, which is why, I mean, folks of my you know age demographic that were starting their careers 10 or 15 years ago, like we didn't set out to be salespeople. Like it happened accidentally. It wasn't on purpose. I was on a call yesterday with a group of uh, gals that were new SDRs. And it was literally like a women in sales conversation and half of the audience like actually decided to join a team to take a sales job. Like they did it on purpose. Mm. And it, it made me happy because I feel like the, the perception just within circles and the professional of profession of B2B selling has definitely changed,
0: um, which I love. Yeah. That, that's I've started seeing um, college grads with that as well. I don't know how much of that you can study, but uh, but I, yeah, I, I, don't,
1: I don't know exactly what you would study in school to be great at sales, but I love people that are like, I want to get a sales job. Cause I, I think it's an amazing entry-level career, regardless of what you want to do long-term. Uh, and you may be like me and find out you actually love it.
0: And what if it's just like, okay, you have a couple classes on challenger sale and, and, um, a couple other methodologies and you got to take out your friends for dinner and then write up an expense report afterward. That's what, the course is all about, you know, and then everyone it's just signs up for it. We could offer That a sounds course. like fun. Yeah, we could have an online university and that's the whole curriculum. We'll just teach you some sales methodology and then we, you have to go out every every night, you know, for several weeks and still get up at, you but, know. I
1: mean, that's what we all used to do, but now we're not even doing that. So, I don't even know how you teach this remote selling. Make sure they know right. how to use Zoom and the backgrounds, you know.
0: You're right. We're drinking a bottle of wine by yourself these days. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how do you do a happy hour one oh one yeah well how it, how how are you sort of navigating that? you can't be in person as much you know or at all
1: yeah, it's been interesting from a sales perspective. Mm-hmm. it has literally impacted us not at all really? um, the I mean the one thing that has changed with covid and so many like just ripples in the economy. We're definitely having more C-level folks that are involved in our sales process. Yeah. There's more eyeballs yeah. on any contract that gets signed. There's more scrutiny on dollars, but that's not typically a bad thing as a salesperson. Like we're always trying to get a, at least a CMO or a CRO to engage with us, make sure we're aligned. Do we understand their priorities? Are we focused on the right things? Yeah. And yeah. even a year ago, we, nope, my, my DG guys got this. He's handling it. Mm. And to get the attention of uh, of an exec or a broader team. And so that has certainly shifted. But again, they're all on video. I mean, if you would ask me six months ago, if we've got a really big group of decision makers at a strategic op, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go meet with them in person for two hours. And I'm going to take them out to dinner and we're going to do the whole thing to build relationships. And I love that and I miss that. And I hope we will do some of that again. But I've also learned I can have a group of seven decision makers from a really strategic account on a Zoom, and we can accomplish a ton. Our close rates have gone up, not down. I mean, I think from a remote selling perspective, we're gonna realize that we actually don't have to spend as much money as we thought we did, Um, which, you know, CFOs everywhere are gonna rejoice. So I think that's a positive. The biggest challenge is the team dynamic. Like I love being in an office with salespeople. You know me, I love culture and sales culture. I just think it's infectious, and I think the best teams out there are teams that genuinely like each other. They like spending time together they organically learn from each other. And that is definitely harder to create on Zoom. So we're trying different things and trying to be creative. But at the end of the day, being remote is never going to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if we could get together once a quarter or you know some p- face-to-face QBRs. I'm hoping we can start weaving some of that stuff in relatively soon. But that's been the biggest learning curve for, for me as a leader, for sure.
0: There's something about that camaraderie. You get off a crazy demo, you get off a crazy call, and you're like, that person was wacky, or just signed it cha-ching, you know, hit the gong kind of thing, and it just—it's it, fun, a little bit of competition going on as well, and you're—it's like a team of hunters all just trying to make make it happen, and like, except for the one loud person that sort of does their their demo, like shh, okay, you got—we can all hear you. You're good. You're good. You're terrible yeah. demo. Oh. Stop. Yeah, but sales is hard. You want
1: to celebrate with. And you want to ring that bell or hit the gong or pop the champagne, whatever it is yeah. that you do, and have your teammates high fiving you and oh, God forbid, like hugging you, just being stoked to for your success. So I think we definitely missed that.
0: Definitely, it'd be great to get back to that. And some, and I think what we're seeing here is just we get back to what's important, you know. So we will keep the things we need to keep and maybe add a few things in, but understanding maybe we don't need to operate the same way as we used to. Yeah, for sure. So my question is, Hugh is like, who are you? Like, I've worked with you. We've gone skydiving together, but like, who are you? Can you like take me back in time to like little Katie days growing? Where'd you grow up? And did you always know, like you said, accidentally got into sales? Like, what was it like early on you? Sure. Um, So
1: I grew up in a really small town in Tennessee from a very Southern family. If you had met me at 16 or 17, I had the thickest Southern accent you could ever imagine.
0: Oh no, it's gone. Uh, Can you get it back for a second?
1: It uh, depends on how much I drink, but no, uh, typically <laughs> no. Uh, so I took—I graduated high school a year early and set off to do a gap year. So I was going to live in Australia for six months. Ended up joining a nonprofit and working overseas for almost five years before I came back to the U.S. and went to school.
0: Wow. So
1: much, much my parents' chagrin, like it was a not a well-perceived choice at the time. Best decision I've ever made in my life. I learned so much. I lived in Australia, but spent tons of time all across Southeast Asia and the Pacific Islands, leading a lot of relief and development teams. It was basically relief and development and team leadership and project management and fundraising. Lots of things you don't expect to learn at 18, 19, and 20. Um, and was incredible building blocks for the rest of my life. So I came back, went to school. What kind of a nonprofit was it? It was called Youth with a Mission. It was a religious nonprofit Um, They do a lot of things, so really broad, but amazing. They do some really great work all over the world. Um, We're still involved in some of the healthcare work that they do in Papua New Guinea specifically. Um, So really cool organization. Uh, Debated staying even longer, finally decided I needed to actually get a degree and go to school. So I came back, toyed with, bounced back and forth between studying business and political science. I honestly just found poli-sci and international affairs more interesting. I definitely thought I would end up traveling and end up back overseas at some point, um, I was getting a law degree after undergrads, but I was broke like every college grad. So took a job at a company called Meltwater. Some people have heard of it. Uh, they did like media monitoring PR software. Uh, they're, they're still a big player in the PR space. Um, back in, oh, this was 07, 08. We basically sold Google alerts that people paid for with some other bells and whistles, <laughs> of course. But it was, let's be honest, it was basically a, a gritty, interlevel, full funnel sales cycle, Uh, Took it because there was some opportunity to travel and back overseas at some point and just fell in love with the motion of selling, loved the company, amazing culture. Um, I ended up leading teams there really quickly. So I didn't know sales and didn't have a background in sales, but I had led so much during that gap year season. Mm. So I brought a lot to the table from a management perspective. So six months in, I was leading teams. Figuring out sales kind of as I went, uh, but I stayed with them for five years. Again, loved the company, learned a ton about sales. Um, and right after that is when I joined Pardot. That's when I met you. Um, did sales at Pardot, lived through the acquisition, stayed at Salesforce for a season after. Uh, that's where I tell people I actually learned to process uh, around sales. Right. Um, really want to structure. How do I do grown up more enterprise sales, you know, and learn some of the building blocks that I know I'm going to need long term uh, if I want to, you know, run big sales teams and sales orgs. So Salesforce, and joined a really small, scrappy startup, ran customer success and sales uh, for about a year and a half through to an acquisition, then joined Marketo, ran a commercial team there for years, uh, and then ended up at Demandbase. So pretty nice. obsessed with MarTech. Most of my entire career has been sales tech, MarTech. Um, I just, I love the revenue piece of the org. I'm fascinated by marketing, even though I'm definitely a, a salesperson at heart. So I mm-hmm. uh, love being involved in tech that gives me access to, to learn both sides of that coin.
0: Jeez. Jeez. Like, like, wow. And, and it's interesting that it was, you didn't, you were like, I'm going to be a salesperson. You were just leading teams, even, even in the gap years, just helping out a nonprofit, PMing, holding people accountable and leading people. And that I was
1: pretty bad at sales early on. Were you? Yeah. Was, I mean, most of us are really, but it was, I wasn't
0: one of those stories that you're people that
1: just like get that first sales job and are like, the top of the charts from day one and sort of always crushing. Again, I was a natural at the leadership and the culture stuff, but geez, the sales motion was so far outside of my comfort zone and I knew nothing about business, but I loved selling because I was naturally very curious about business and people. Mm. So I felt like I was learning a ton all the time about both of those pieces.
0: Being curious. What about the selling part was the hardest for you when you were picking it up?
1: Other than not talking at the speed of light, that was the (laughs) biggest um i oh, still like like slow
0: down they're like slow down katie yeah. okay. i mean
1: i remember my first like six months on the phone like my manager couldn't understand me no <laughs> one yeah you know i talk fast now but this is like 10 years of learning to talk slower so this is uh, slower yeah this is much slower
0: oh wow awesome.
1: yeah i know uh, i have still have a lot of we all have room for improvement so it's still an area that i'm focusing on well, no it's okay because um, people
0: can listen to this podcast at like point, point 0.5 speed it's it's okay <laughs>
1: You know, I listen to everybody else on any recording at like 1.5, 1.75. Yeah, like, get to the
0: point. Come on, let's go. Yeah,
1: you definitely can't speed me up on anything. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and I think just understanding, because at Meltwater, we didn't have a territory model. So we were literally selling to small companies, big companies. I mean, just some mm-hmm. of the things you take for granted, like not understanding how public companies function. What's an earnings report? What types of metrics am I looking for here? How do I understand how they make money? What's a total addressable market? I mean, yeah. just so many layers that I don't think you can be great at selling anything until you understand business. So it took me a while to get there.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Do you want to um, hear one other story? Yeah.
1: Since you asked about my background, do you want to know? Because you took me skydiving for the first yeah. time. Right. Did I, did you, I can't remember how well I knew you. Did I tell you that I was terrified of heights?
0: Um, well, a lot of people are. I I don't remember specifically if you so, said that.
1: I probably pretended to be really brave because that's my natural mo. <laughs> but I was really terrified the first time, and it's because one the second year I lived in Australia, I jumped off a really high cliff. I was cliff jumping and broke my back, and like had what? a. It, I ended up fine, but if I had landed a little bit different, it would have been like disastrous. So I had a crushed fracture in my vertebrae, and ever since then, was terrified of heights. So when I went skydiving with you and your team back in whatever year that was, yeah. it was like a big pivotal moment because it was me conquering that fear.
0: Dang. Yeah. Dang. So you broke your back and you're like, okay. And walking around. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's different types of fractures. Like it wasn't, I didn't snap my spine. I just crushed a vertebrae, like the little, like building blocks of your spine. You can get crushed fractures on
0: them. Right. So is this like a crazy Katie moment where you're like, well, yeah, let's go cliff jumping. Let's just see what happens.
1: No, we did it all the time, but this was just a little bit higher kind of than flute. normal, yeah, and flute. I landed not almost perfect, but when you're really high, you have to like have the perfect pointed toes, or else it's kind of like hitting concrete.
0: Jeez. jeez. Yeah,
1: there you go. They're leaving you with a, a personal story there, so you can <laughs> well, know that, that skydiving was really impactful.
0: Well, that's cool. I'm really glad you did it, because not everyone wanted to, and it got to the point where just like, yeah, anyone who wants to go, let's go like I went
1: back a second time because I realized I had I really loved it the first time and I was like okay yeah. I need to go again now that I know I'm not terrified. Yeah. So you've
0: so you got two jumps under your belt.
1: Mhm.
0: Wow. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Cool. Wow. That's
1: cool. I'm due for another one.
0: You are due for another one. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. It also the Have you done an indoor tunnel yet? No. It's uh I really liked it. It was for like for business events like, "Hey, I know you just met me, but let's go fly in a tunnel." And they're like, okay and it was great um less fear right because you can't actually die but um but it feels the same which is interesting
1: interesting i'll have to check it out again if if i'm allowed to be like in public with humans again
0: i know all this air cycling around i don't know what people will do um huh huh Oh, crazy so i had a quick question because i i can't possibly let you go before so you're at demand base and you're in and around ABM. And I wanted to get your take on like, what was your take on what it is? And it, are there any ingredients that you see make for successful um, the strategy inside and actually executing it?
1: So it's not rocket science, if we're mm. going to be honest. Like, yeah. ABM has obviously become a buzzword. We all talk about it. We throw it around like it's some new thing. ABM is just marketing and selling to accounts versus to like the entire universe of people that could ever be your buyers. Okay. And I mean anyone that's been in sales like old school even like folks before my generation, typically sales was, "Hey, here's my 10 money accounts and I spend all my time and all my money on mm-hmm. these 10 accounts and I know the people really well and we golf or we drink or whatever it is that we do." Like, I mean that was sales of my parents' generation or your parents' generation and Obviously with marketing automation and all the volume and the tech that we built in 10, 15 years ago, we had this opportunity to kind of shift to this very much volume velocity motion where there was a ton of volume and it was all about casting this really, really wide net and then filling that top of the funnel you know, if you've got to get, if it takes you a thousand leads to get three people to convert on a demo, then let's get a thousand leads and we'll get the three demos, whatever right. the equation is like. Um, and I'm not discrediting that. Like if that model works and there's tons of businesses that that model works really well, it's great. But if you're trying to sell to a very finite universe, if you've got a product that, hey, we want this subset of the fortune 1000, or, you know, right. there's a very defined universe of companies that should buy from us, work with us or maybe it's you've been in market for a little while and hey, we clearly know these are successful, happy, renewable customers, and these are not. I would argue that you should focus all of your marketing and sales resources on how do we get more of those happy, successful, renewable customers, um, or that exact enterprise footprint, whatever it is that you're trying to bust into. And at the end of the day, that's all ABM is. It's all about helping you sift through a ton of data to figure out how do you either build a target account list from scratch, or how do you rank and prioritize a list that you have? Um, and there's other really interesting tech that you pull in as part of that. And that's why you partner with whether it's a demand base or someone else in the space, you're looking for things like intent data, what are buyers at that company researching out on the B2B web, they're not on your website yet. But if they're reading a ton of content on Forbes.com and the New York Times and the Washington Post on account based advertising, my reps need to know that because clearly yeah. that's someone yeah. that is in market for what we do. So it's funneling that type of information. Uh, it's helping you get really strategic at how you do You know, top of the funnel advertising, uh, middle of the funnel. How do you personalize the experience when someone hits your website? Again, if it's only 500 accounts you want to sell to, if those 500 accounts hit your website, you want it to look like it was built for them. And yeah. you sell to them. Your products work really well for them you know, maybe you've got a case study of their direct competitor, things like that. Like you can do all of that Mm -hmm. with ABM tech. And then you're getting that information to sales over in real time. You're helping arm them with that outbound motion. Because if your universe is very finite, then the reality is salespeople can't just sit back and wait for what's that next inbound lead that comes in. I love leads. I love inbound. Like it's wonderful. It's not going away, but still my guys have a very finite list of, Hey, these are going to be our best customers out of your Boston territory that you own. These are 40 accounts that we know we need to land. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to channel our marketing sales outbound all of our muscles around those accounts. And really? That's, that's all ABM is to
0: me. And do you have a problem calling it like account-based marketing? If it's like sales is doing it too, or do yeah, you I mean
1: to, to me, it's account-based sales and marketing or account-based everything. I don't know that it needs a buzzword. It's just B2B marketing. Like, yeah. It's different than how you would market to consumers. To consumers, absolutely. Like, I could buy shoes. Anybody in the world can buy these fabulous pair of shoes. So you want to market it everywhere. Right. That's different. You've got a product that costs eighty thousand dollars, and it's very for a very specific buyer within the enterprise. You probably want to market those products differently, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Uh, I love the way you explained it. I think sometimes marketers can get overly complicated. We can make it bigger than it needs to be because we like to make things full of jazz hands right and it's like well actually we're just focusing on some certain accounts and you know all the way back to the old school movies on sales they were going after accounts too so yeah 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 we do overcomplicate it though i, I talk to companies they're like well we're for the next 18
1: months we're building our abm framework and then we're <laughs> gonna do it I'm like okay i mean that's great i understand there's a lot of strategy and a lot of tech and that stuff's really important But what's going to happen over the next 18 months? Like how much are you going to leave on the table by not doing anything, even though you've identified, oh, we need to be more account centric in our approach. Like let's figure out what's the easy stuff. What are the big rocks? Are there ways we can help you be more account centric in your approach now? Because you can probably do that tomorrow, not a year and a half from now.
0: Yeah, the whole like ready, aim, fire, just like aim, 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 aim. Okay, cool. Are we going to do this thing at some point? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so much that you can, do in the short term a little bit of plan here, a little bit of plan there, a little yeah. bit more agile than than just completely waterfall the whole thing. That makes sense.
1: I also see the flip side though, where companies think they can throw 150k at some ABM tech <laughs> and magic wand. They have an ABM approach and strategy that is also definitely not the case.
0: Right. I mean, just like we're, we're, how it was with marketing automation, you got to actually use the thing. You got to know like who are you going after. You know who are your target accounts here. Who who do you want to go after? You know what are you trying to get done? Um, so much just You know, just pulling the trigger on random stuff where you need to really be cohesive and coherent about it. Um, Man, that's,
1: this is crazy. surprise, surprise, you got to align with sales.
0: Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Trying to do an ABM campaign with just marketing. Okay, all right. It's not really an ABM campaign. No one's going to follow up on it. You really need that that team effort like you were talking about earlier today. Yeah, super important. Got a hypothetical question for you. Okay. Um, I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire, in my backyard, covered up with a gray tarp. And um, let's say COVID's all all done or whatnot, and we clean the machine. It's all tidied up. We'll let you use it. It'll take you back in time, but it goes to a particular time. Or maybe it's this frozen or something on there. But it takes you back to like, and um, and I'll let you have two different locations you can go to. You can either go to after you graduated uh, college or even sometime during your gap year, um, your gap years that you did all that work, if you can go back in time and talk to yourself, like Katie back then, what kind of things would you tell yourself? What kind of advice would you give yourself knowing all the things you know now?
1: Um, I'll choose the going back to right when I finished college. Okay. I would definitely give myself advice around confidence and leading into my strengths versus weaknesses. Um, which would also probably encourage me to take more risks and stress a little bit less about some of the failures. Um, And this is typically true of most women in particular, we are really terrified to fail. Um, And there's a a lot of psychology that you can dig into around why and how we're brought up and how girls are typically raised. Um, But we are bred to project perfection, which then creates this inherent need to always protect ourselves from failure, which is Mm. part of why women are or hesitant to take big jobs, take big risks, put their hand up for something they're not fully qualified for. Um, and it's not that I feel like there was some massive opportunity that I missed out on, um, but definitely earlier in my career, I allowed myself to sit back and wait and try to build skills before I would necessarily kind of lean in or put my hand up. Um, and that really ties into, and part of my mantra really as a leader is I work really hard with my reps to figure out what are, you, what are your superpowers? What are you really great at? And then of course, there's going to be things that we're all improving in gaps, and we can fix those along the way. But most, I think just most humans, not even most sellers, we tend to fixate, we're our worst critic, we see all the things that we're not great at, and then we spend so much time trying to correct or adjust or hide those versus figuring out, hey, there's a couple things that I am really uniquely phenomenal at and leaning into those and then kind of allowing those to to blaze the path. That's probably what I would tell myself.
0: That's fantastic. I, I totally see that. And did you you build a team around you people that have strengths in those areas that you have weaknesses? And instead of being like, oh no, I'm perfect, it's like, yeah, I'm really bad at this. Um, that's why you're here, because together we'll get through this. Um, you know, the point you brought up about um taking more risk, it's really interesting. And the phrase that came to mind was like, fake it till you make it, you know. Um, and when I was really thinking about it as you're as you're talking, it's like, are we ever actually prepared for any new thing we're doing. Maybe if it's the same thing we already did, but you know, everything new we're probably bad at when we first started.
1: Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Everyone. Uh, and if you're not operating outside of your comfort zone relatively often that I can guarantee you're not maximizing your potential or what you're capable of. So that's a lot of what I focused on. I think the last couple of years, as I have started to really build my own confidence and feel at least aware of the areas from a leadership perspective that I'm really, really strong And again, I have a ton of gaps and a lot of things that I've learned to be more open and transparent with people about, but still the ability to recognize there are some things I do really well and I'm naturally very strong at, I think that has given me more confidence to be willing to operate in my areas of discomfort more often.
0: Yeah, man, it's crazy to have like kind of grown up with you over the last couple of years and and see we'll you're, come a power- a long way, right? you're a powerhouse. I mean, you were awesome back then anyways, just sell, getting things done and selling, but it's, it's cool to see that you've gone from just, you know, individually selling things to like the boss, you know, like, wow. And like but a leader. And also like, a, it sounds like a coach that, that I would love to have. Like, a, and so hearing you say things, things, these things about yourself makes you go, okay, if, if she can figure this stuff about herself, the people on her team, you know, if they if they buy into this and like, okay, help me out, um, uh, put ego aside, then you're gonna help coach them through to be successful. I mean, it's such a cool place to be in. Definitely
1: my favorite thing. I, I discovered really early on that I am way more inspired and motivated by the leadership aspect than selling directly. Just there's something about like watching people succeed, especially when they didn't necessarily think they had it in them or it took yeah. things really being built in them. It's so fun.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's cool. Like you did the thing. You were in the trenches. I can can vouch for you. I was there and and you were crushing it. And it's like, and now you found that higher purpose of like, I can help multiple people at the same time hit, hit their goals, you know, using some of the things that I've learned myself. It's really cool.
1: Thank you. It's been fun, fun ride.
0: Yeah. Where, how can people connect with you? If they want to pick your brain, they will especially the folks that are listening with either in sales or marketers that want to just like follow you and learn more of this wisdom. How can they reach out and connect?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is definitely the best channel. Uh, It's been one of my areas of focus this year. Uh, it's interesting, there are not very many sales leaders that are female that are particularly vocal on LinkedIn. Uh, I started recognizing that my feed was very male and also very white. Um, so I've been purposely working to uh, address that and get connected with uh, more diversity and broader, uh, but I've also challenged myself to be more consistent at posting content and just trying to engage and build relationships. linkedins I'm, I'm sure it's a short window because it'll all, every social network changes, but some fascinating, really smart people and really good content that if you spend time getting in, like you can learn so much.
0: For sure. And I, I think, you know, the, t- the topic of bubbles has, has come up before and echo chambers and you're right. You need to, just like you need to fake it to you make it, you need to connect with people even if you don't even know why. Um, not the weird spam kind, but like just people outside of say the Salesforce ecosystem or the ABM ecosystem, yeah. you could learn a lot from the YouTube marketer or the, the people that are in like the direct, you know sales direct marketing type of pro- like everyone has something they can they can add to this this mix and uh yeah no matter who they are where they're where they're from for sure
1: yeah for sure
0: thank you so much for being on here i don't know if you looked at the clock time just like literally flew by as we're just hanging just hanging out no
1: surprise yeah no, it was it was yeah. a really fun conversation thanks for the invite thanks for having me
0: I've enjoyed catching up seriously seriously and for those people listening if you've learned something and i freaking know you have cuz i have two pages of notes over here front and back running out of space if you've learned something then the you need to share this episode but the way you do it is not just like here's a link you you write what your takeaways were Uh, and there's so many things we talked about the trusted advisor the um, for working with sales and, and the alignment factors and all the different things that go into that there's so many cool takeaways put your takeaways in there tag katie tag myself share that with other people share the episode and that's how you become a thought leader um, and, uh, and we will help amplify you as well. So Katie, again, this is fantastic. Great to catch up with you. Don't be a stranger. Let's stay in touch. I'll have you back yes. on here a little bit kind of thing. Thanks so much, Casey. Have a good rest of your day. Absolutely. You too. And for those listening, this has been the hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time.